Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Santa Barbara City Planning Commissioner Jay Higgins, who's also a private uh, land use planner and who's done a lot of good work here in the community and who serves on one of the most influential boards in the city, really a highly sought after position that makes recommendations to the city council, makes some decisions. And we're going to talk about all kinds of good stuff going on in Santa Barbara today as it relates to housing, hotels, downtown, planning, just sort of these issues that we're struggling with. Jay Higgins, how are you doing today? I'm good, Josh. Thanks for inviting me in. Yeah, no, my my pleasure. I wish we could we could chat more. You know how I work. It seems as though I need a comment, a question on deadline, and it's like I need it right now. And we don't do enough of the conversation, the day to day stuff. So I appreciate you taking a few minutes to sit down and talk with me, Jay. There's a lot going on in Santa Barbara. You serve on the Planning Commission. You're one of the the, the elders there. You, I think you've been there, you know, a long time. You know what you're doing. You've seen everything come up and. You're kind of the words of wisdom on that panel, on that board, along with Sheila Lodge, of course, who's been there. And I wanted to sort of talk to you a little bit about these issues that we're dealing with right now. Let's talk about one of the big things that has come up. Uh, Councilwoman Megan Harmon has floated this idea of a, a, a tax maybe to fund hotels, maybe, maybe a, an increase on the TOT tax to fund hotels. Simultaneously, there's talk about a moratorium on new hotel development, and there's all this sort of conversation of how do we afford or how do we fund housing? We got Rob Fredericks who's talking about this issue, and there's sort of all this conversation going on around housing and how to connect it to maybe the tourist industry and hotels. You see this stuff, you see these projects, you're constantly talking about them. Let's dive deep. What is your take? What do you what do you think? What is Santa Barbara's solution when it comes to hotels, housing? What do you think is the best way to sort of approach this this situation? Um, well, you know, you hold on one second. Mm-hmm. So um you mentioned that where you know Megan floated an idea about hotels or housing, and you know one thing that is constant for me in the last seven years, and really for anybody that's been paying attention to housing politics over the last fifty years, is that we we are always talking about housing. Mm-hmm. So there isn't another there isn't a, a time where we aren't talking about what to do or how to handle affordability um, and issues with State Street. So. Um, on the planning commission for the last seven years, we've had dozens and dozens of hearings about uh, what to do, how to how to amend the AUD program, and so that's a constant. Um, how to deal with ideas that come up um, and react to them, <clears throat> and uh, some would argue that's not a very strategic approach. Really, uh, you shouldn't put yourself in a position to constantly react to ideas that come up, crazy or not. Uh, You really should just have a sound strategy, collect your thoughts, make a plan, and then implement the plan and uh, maybe adaptively tweak it if if necessary. But um, you asked me, it sounded like you asked me a ton of questions there. So uh, I guess specifically, we can just talk about um, the latest zany idea, which is um, a moratorium on hotel development um, which is odd and ironic that we're talking about that simultaneously, as you said, with a potential increase in TOT taxes. So I don't know how we do both of those, but I think that's a good example of, of um, the, the context within which we operate at the Planning Commission. Um, we get zany ideas all the time and they conflict with each other. So um, we can't do both of those things. Um, <clears throat> And I think we should do neither. I don't think it, there's a nexus uh, between a hotel moratorium and affordability. Um, the people, generally speaking, that work, uh, lower wage earners that are in the hotel industry, I don't believe they really, from a majority standpoint, don't live in Santa Barbara. That ship sailed 30 years ago. Our, our low income uh, wage folks are commuting and they've been commuting um, 
at least from Goleta or Lompoc or Ventura County for decades. So um, I don't see that as a good idea. Uh, there's no nexus there. Um, it's also a bad financial or fiscal um, idea. We have a lot of money that comes into the city's general fund from TOT tax. In fact, I think this year, maybe you can fact check this, might be a record. Um, they might collect $30 million annually from TOT tax. And, and the way the TOT tax uh, program is structured is it's uh, you're, you're a no-risk investor. The city is. They approve hotels. The hotels get built, and the city automatically puts 12% of the gross receipts in their pocket. They don't have to invest anything mm-hmm. other than their time to uh, vet a hotel project. So um, I think where the, the, the thing got um, cross purposes is, is there was an idea that, that we shouldn't have a hotel moratorium. We should, in fact, increase TOT taxes or allocate more TOT taxes to affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So while that might be a good idea in a vacuum, I don't think that's a good idea either. And I'll tell you why. I mean, first of all, we should always have money for affordable housing. And our city's housing authority does a fantastic job. Best probably program run in the country. <clears throat> and um, But I'll, I'll, let me back up for a second. About probably eight years ago, and you might have been in this uh, housing conference uh, that was put on by the Housing Coalition. Uh, there's probably 150 people in the room, and Mickey Flax is there. And Mickey Flax, uh, um, you know, is one of the most smartest, most principled, most crazy persons I know. Um, and she got up and said something that was r- ridiculous and radical, that we shouldn't be building anymore. We shouldn't let the private sector solve our housing crisis we should only let public agencies build housing. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the room thought that was crazy, but lo and behold, we're, we're, we're heading that direction, right? On two fronts, one with AUD by constantly increasing the inclusionary rate, um, it, it's de facto government housing. Um, and now if we wanna <clears throat> do a program <clears throat> where we increase taxes, to fund affordable housing construction. That might be well and good, but it it really diminishes, I think it'll take away uh, from the private sector's ability to solve our housing crisis. Um, we, we, will only, we will start to only rely on public housing construction in this community if, if we head that direction. So we already have an AUD program that has been uh, beaten up to a point that it's not used anymore. Um, constantly tweaked uh, to the point that it's it's hard for applicants or developers to inform their, themselves of the rules and then apply for a project and stay on track. It's all, it's almost impossible. So, um, anyway, is that it's a long answer to your, your question? You know, this issue came up because we're seeing hotel projects in development. Uh, we, we've seen proposals to build new hotels, conversions in some case of commercial space into hotels. Here's that one commercial office space right next to, I think it's the Laguna Cottages that got some attention recently. And there's some seniors who live next door. So the, the context of, hey, this is, this is a building and we need to do infill housing because there's no more space to do housing in terms of open space. So we should take these opportunities to facilitate development on these properties where there's already stuff there. And so I think some of the pushback from BB Longstreet and others who um, had concerns about that commercial development to be turned into a keyless hotel was, hey, that should be housing. You know, and so so what do you think about that? Is is there is there yeah. a way to navigate that where sure. developers yeah. are that's a that's a great um subject and um and question. Um would it be better that that building become housing? Yes, than hotels, I in my personal opinion. Yeah. But but everybody has to understand when a, a real an owner of real estate wants to um make a change to their property. They're going to do it in 
in a way that is the least that has the least amount of risk. Mm-hmm. So for that, that project to become housing would have um, increased the risk um, profile to a point that it, if you didn't have to go through that amount of risk, and I mean regulatory risk, and I also mean financial risk, building code risk, um, why not just do the thing that is the least, uh, has the lowest amount of risk profile and the greatest return on investment. I mean, that's real simple. So it, it, making it, putting a moratorium on, on conversions like that um, should only be a consideration if you have what you really want, which is housing, and you have a program that offers less risk than the hotel pro- process. Mm-hmm. So why not allow people to come in and just simply get a building permit to do a TI project for housing there. Um, Nobody wants that either. Everybody wants to regulate the housing and the prices and the rent control on the housing. So it's too complicated. So I don't blame the guy, whoever it is to to take that path. Uh, I I can agree that it's not highest and best use for our city, but um, until we create rules that are simple to follow and untinkered with for at least a decade. If the only kind of moratorium we should have is a moratorium on amending our housing uh, ordinances, okay? <laughs> AUD should be put in place and then we should let it sit there for 10 years and, and, and be utilized. And there shouldn't be a, any more hearings on housing for at least 10 years. <laughs> Too much tweaking and changing and- <clears throat> It's impossible to understand what the rules are. So um, it, it's it's no surprise that that's what happened. This other talk of increasing the the transit occupancy tax or taking a percentage of that twelve percent, we've heard Rob Fredericks talk about this at budget hearings. What do you think of that? I mean, is there a way to take some of that money from your perspective that the tourists are given in? You know, can we go to thirteen percent, fourteen, fifteen? I don't know what. Malibu or these other places are doing and put that aside is is that an answer or will we is you know as Randy Rouse would say <laughs> kill the golden goose that you know lays the egg like is is that gonna is that not gonna work for our tourism no I I, I don't think that's I mean I like I said in a vacuum um, I think if we can figure out a way to get more money to the housing authority that's always going to be a win-win Okay, where it comes from um, is the question. I think uh, globally speaking or nationally speaking, we're, we're heading into um, uncertain times economically. And so we really have to think hard about raising taxes right now. Um, what's that? What's that going to what's the push and pull on that equation? Yeah. Gonna yield? I, I, you know, are you really if, if you're going to raise a 2%, how much more money is that going to be leveraged? for the, the housing authority, uh, what can they produce? I'd like to see somebody uh, talk about that and then we can make a decision, but generally adverse to tax increases, so. Yeah, so there's there's that whole conversation that's happening and we're seeing AUD projects, we're seeing housing projects like, you know, the, the, the city of Santa Barbara is doing the one at the corner of Carrillo and Castillo, which um, <clears throat> seems to be, favorable to, to everybody it's 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 a good use and it's going to serve that missing middle and going to lose a lot of trees but most of the neighbors are good with it and if you can't put housing there where can you put it kind of thing so it seems like that's moving in the right direction but you know without getting specific because I know you've got to potentially vote on some of these projects but you know I wrote about this funk zone project it's like 155 units uh, a couple of days ago that was I think at HIABR or something like that you know, and we're sort of see these pushing the envelope here of, I want a development agreement. We see it on, saw it on Milpas with that project. We, this other person wants a development agreement, 45 feet, 48 feet, you know, wanting an exception and going higher and higher, 52 feet. Um, when you look at that and, and we, we see these projects come in and they're getting more dense and higher, is that a good thing from your perspective? Uh, is that the answer to the housing or it just depends on where it is? I'll, I'll answer it this way. Um, 12, 13 years ago, we had measure B. 
-hmm. And that was a uh, thought bubble by a number of, a couple of architects in town um, as a reaction to Chapala One, because that building went up in the air and it was very tall and everybody was afraid that Chapala Street was gonna be canyonized with tall buildings. So they floated a ballot measure to reduce the building height limit. So in, in the downtown commercial areas, the height limit's 60 feet. Um, <clears throat> and what happened was ironically, uh, the environmentalists and, and quite frankly, the, the Democrat, um, most of the liberal leaning people and organizations defeated measure B. Um, and it, it, so the voters spoke on whether or not we should reduce height limits down to 45 feet and they disagreed. And the reason was because it didn't make sense from a sustainability standpoint to not better utilize our downtown um, land for increased intensity uh, with respect to either housing or commercial. Um, but, but clearly it was a reaction that the voters agreed on to not limit downtown development on your, in your urban grid. So, so um, I'm, I'm still staunchly in that camp that um, basically what happened through, through kind of a backdoor deal, uh, while the voters didn't want the height limits reduced to 45 feet, the city council still figured out a way to lower the height limits to 45 feet um, by requiring that any project above 45 feet only be approved if it's um, got a community benefit component of it. Uh, of which rental housing is a community benefit. So anyway, long answer, um, I don't, I'm not afraid of tall buildings, um, tall, you know, going over 45 or 48 or 54 feet, that doesn't bother me. Okay. And, and, it, and it's not, the, the, and it's because there's a balance, there's an aesthetic that is important and, and our design review boards do an outstanding job yeah. at, um, these buildings that come out and they all look fantastic. I mean, ask yourself, and maybe you should ask some of your other panelists, um, have people been complaining about the um, new AUD projects on De La Guerra and Santa Barbara Street? The, the, um... You know, I think that uh, the, the complaints I hear are uh, rent. You know, that yeah. it still costs a lot, but I never hear yeah. design. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. saying, hey, that's too tall. That's really yeah. ugly, right? I mean, yeah. those are those are stunning uh, pieces of architecture and our design review boards do a great job. And of course, the architects that, that are hired to design these things. So um, yeah, sure, the rents are um, are higher than we would like, but isn't that the, isn't that the way with everything these days? Uh, we have uh, high inflation and high gas prices and high rents. But the, the thing about... The complaining that is being done about high rents, um, it's disingenuous because if we didn't build any new buildings, no new apartments, uh, rents would still be high. If, if we did nothing, uh, the median home price would still be 2.6 million. And that's because rents are a factor and prices are a factor of what's happening in the national economy, not what we're doing in Santa Barbara. So um, at, if AUD projects were coming out of the ground in 2012, they would be much more affordable, but nothing is affordable now. So to measure the success of AUD projects on a three-year horizon, uh, based on what we all really want the rents to be, that's just uh, disingenuous and it's an unfair way to gauge the success of a program. You have to keep in mind, and I've said this on the Planning Commission a couple of times, we're not a we're not a three-year commission. We're a planning commission. Planning, planning departments, planning commissions. Horizon needs to be 20 or 30 or 40 years. So the housing stock that is produced as a result of AUD now will be relatively affordable in 20 years. And, and that, that should be our horizon and our measurement of success. If we can look out that far and measure uh, how we've improved our housing stock. Um, remember, we didn't improve our housing stock for 50 years largely. So it's, we're catching up and we're, we're now kind of um, creeping towards a better balance, assuming we keep over the next same time period, 10, 20, 30 years, keep building a reasonable amount of 
of apartment or condo product. And I don't mean we're never going to build our way out of this housing price issue, never, ever. But we shouldn't do nothing. We're not a do nothing commission. We're a planning commission. Yeah. You hear people talking about the redevelopment agency and back yeah. when Santa Barbara could have done this and the state taking that away was a terrible thing. And so a lot, it's sort of like the new conversation among people running for office and people going to Sacramento, that that's a, a touchstone point that they're trying to say that's going to be really helpful. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, this program, it used to take property tax increment and it would set it aside and it could help fund the uh, housing authority and redevelopment housing projects. And now that that funding is gone. Um, do you, do you have any, is that the answer? Well, I, 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 like I said, I think any new funding source for the housing authority to produce more housing is, is a great idea. Yeah. So, but now I guess my recollection of what Newsom did or the state legislature did with redevelopment agencies is, is they took that money and they gave it to the schools. Yeah. So uh, that's a tough one. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's definitely the other side of that that nobody talks about is all of the communities that didn't use their redevelopment money in a way that they should have. Santa Barbara did, you know, for many years, but yeah. not every state did, not every city did. Hey, let's talk about this commercial vacancy uh, tax, which seems to be picking up some some steam. Uh, I know that you are, you know, you work with a lot of these electeds who are pushing this sort of issue it's a good elected issue to sort of say yeah. hey you know we address downtown by we're going to charge these out-of-town property owners for letting their properties be vacant they need to rent it out they need to work with their tenants their clients uh so we can get somebody in there they don't live here they don't see the blight they need to do something we're going to tax them to incentivize them right so that you hear that conversation going and of course state street you can't walk very far without seeing a commercial storefront that's vacant is that an answer, Jay? Uh, how do we incentivize these property owners to get a tenant into their building? I, you know, <clears throat> um, again, it's um, this regulatory whack-a-mole where we want to do a moratorium on hotels, but also penalize commercial property owners. Um, what What is <clears throat> uniformly recognized is what, what would be good for State Street is more people uh, into the retail establishments or just uh, redevelopment or housing or a vibrancy on State Street is, is you just need people. So it doesn't make any sense to do a moratorium on hotels that are on State Street or near State, State Street because what you want is, is somebody coming out of their hotel room looking for a cup of coffee in the morning, early in the morning. That, that energizes the street and it probably has a indirect effect on uh, homelessness because homeless will encamp where there aren't people. So um, put, putting a vacancy tax on some of the retail establishments, I would, I would entertain that um, in, in certain circumstances. There's a notion that you do have some seriously absentee uh, property owners or landlords. And if they are egregiously uh, lazy, or um, uninterested in engaging in the real estate market, uh, then I suppose some sort of a penalty uh, would 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 be reasonable. Uh, but again, anytime you have a penalty, you got to you got to look at these things with a carrot and a stick. So yes. what are we what are we doing to incentivize, and what are we doing to penalize the stuff that we we don't want? Um, uh, I think in certain circumstances that somebody's just been ghostwriting their building for five years, yeah. Something else, something needs to happen. There's that building on the 400 block of State Street that uh, Mike Jordan's talking, always talking about others. I think it used to be Esau's, there used to be yeah. a restaurant there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, kind of an example, yeah. That, that's that's an example, right? Like it's sort of mystery house, like what's going on there behind the, that, that place yeah. that's walled off. Um, you know, and we do know some property owners lower their rents to get that some tenants in there. You know, my reporting, you hear that helps a small business, you know, get started. Uh, Ray Maboob, I know, does that with some of his tenants. At least he, you know, he tells me he does. And I've heard that from some of his tenants as well. 
um, that it's better to have something than nothing. But I guess if you're not here to see it, maybe it's some write-off or something. Yeah, I, 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 all I can say is I hear those anecdotes about the tax structure or disincentives and um, multiple generations owning the same property and it's impossible to get. So, so <clears throat> excuse me, if, if, if there needs to be a penalty of some kind after a certain period of time, um, I'd, I'd be interested in what it would fund. I would like to see it directly tied to law enforcement um, or the ambassador program or for prosecuting people that start fires and encampments. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, this, the, the, this fires, the, this, the highway fires and the encampment fires are untenable. I, I, I just can't, every time they, they seem to be increasing in frequency and it just boggles my mind that, uh, that we let that happen. Were you a supporter of the take them out of the encampments and put them in the Rose Garden Inn Hotel for six months? Did that work or was that just a temporary fix? I I, I would say that was a, an interesting experiment and the nexus between being able to clear the encampments, you know, needed a solid place to to uh, to house those folks. And so if that's the legal framework we need to work within, it is what it is. Um, I think, I, I don't know too much about whether or not the Rose uh, Garden Hotel project was a, a, a success. Uh, um, I live up there. I know it rattled some cages of, of people that live nearby, but I don't think it was, um, it, I think it was well-managed. So I, I'm probably, I don't know, six blocks from that property. And I drive by it every once in a while and I didn't notice um, any issues, mm -hmm. but there probably was an uptick, sure. Yeah, I know Eric Friedman noticed all sorts of things that he talked about at the council, yeah, but Eric, he's still closer, yeah. Yeah, Eric is probably the hardest working man at City Hall. Oh, he is yeah. very knowledgeable um, and does his homework and, and he's doing a good job. I always tell him, sorry, Eric, I never quote you. It's nothing personal. It's because all your quotes are like actually on topic and there's no grandstanding. So I have no, I have nothing flashy to quote yeah. from you. Boring, <laughs> but accurate maybe. But anyway, exactly. not a knock against Mike Jordan, who is, works very hard too. I'm not going to talk about Mike Jordan quotes. But he, he'll give you plenty to quote on. <laughs> hey, let's go back to State Street. You know, the commercial vacancy tax is because we have a number of storefronts that are vacant. And so the problem there is, you know, tourists come to town and they see, well, what's there? Why is that empty? There also, some of them are uh, provide shelter and refuge for homeless people to sort of hang out there and camp. And as we know, the, the city can't do anything really about that because there's this, you know, Ariel Colon will say the Boise decision and that, that if you don't have a place for them to go, we can't tell them that they can't be there. So, they kind of have to be there. It's public property unless they're causing a problem or a disturbance. And then that goes to law enforcement and we don't have enough of that. And we can't hire enough ambassadors. So it's this whole, this whole cycle. Um, so State Street, when you're down there, when you go, do you still go down there? Do you, do you feel like it's safe or do you feel like it's, you know, we need to do something quickly? I mean, what is your take when you stroll on State Street? Are we in a better place today than we were a few years ago? Well, I think the promenade issue, and we'll probably get to that, but um, has been helpful. Um, finally, State Street has become a destination in and of itself without the retail or the bars or restaurants. So um, yeah, when the pandemic uh, hit, um, I got uh, me and my family all on bikes and we would ride to church down State Street, back up State Street, and it, it, was, it was really cool. Um, and so safe place to land. Um, uh, in the daytime, in the nighttime, not so much. So uh, I do think we need uh, more enforcement, more ambassadors on State Street. Um, and uh, CityNet's approach is if you are, if you connect yourself on a relational level with somebody that's living on the street, eventually they will uh, accept most of them. Eventually, most of them will accept your assistance or be annoyed to the point that they just move on. And that's, that's, a, that's an intentional strategy that CityNet um, 
deploys and, and they've trained our ambassadors on the same level. So you get to know uh, folks on the street by name and um, eventually, you know, wear them down. Yeah, that's, that's all you can do. Just keep trying. It's a tall order. Several contacts before they accept the services. It's very high maintenance, um, and uh, but again, within the confines of our 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 legal system, that that program needs to be expanded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the State Street Promenade, of course, everyone has an opinion on this. I grew up in Goleta, Santa Barbara. My parents were renters, so I've lived in East Side, West Side, No Lita, Goleta, everywhere. So. I remember the days like like my parents they they go cruising on State Street so like I'm old school right like and you, you your friends would come into town you know and you know later in life and you're like let's go on State Street let's go cruising like that was a cool thing right but obviously we've always had this sense from from planners and other people that 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 maybe we need to remove cars from State Street maybe we need to figure out a way to make it more vibrant the pandemic hits and overnight right rob dayton makes it makes it happen and he had lots of support a lot of the bike activists alternative transportation activists everything kind of converged so state street closed to cars at least parts of it and then we have the outdoor dining and you're right if you're down there there is so much vibrancy there's so many people it's like where were all these people before and it's really people of all ages it's it's not just one demographic but it's kind of a mess. It looks messy. It's different. Uh, some people have elaborate displays, some people less so. What's your take on the State Street Promenade? I don't even know. I mean, I'd have to think about where we're at. Like, what is this? Master plan, consultant, yeah. Dave Davis in charge. This thing's going to take how many years? Right, right. What's, what's but, your take yeah. there on uh, the Well, promenade? I I, I um, am not a part of that committee. So, um this is outsider perspective um, that it's the Tess Harris, Dave Davis committee. And, and um, I'm really excited to hear what that process unveils, um, why we need an outside consultant and why it would take two years to do that. I don't know. It seems like we don't do anything in the city without two years and a consultant. We have the, the most amount of talent in the planning department um, relative to other public agencies. Um, and we have the most engaged public, the highest uh, quality and quantitatively uh, number of engaged boards and commissions in the country. So um, I don't know that we need a consultant, but again, I'm not part of that committee. So I, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not really on solid ground with my opinion, but um, I'll say it, it I wish it could go a little faster. Yeah. And if it takes two years to do a plan, then it might take a long, 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 long time to raise the money to implement whatever the plan entails. It could be significant costs uh, for doing the, I mean, if we're going to allow parkless to remain in a way that's compliant with the building health and zoning codes, that's going to require a lot of infrastructure up, upgrades significantly. And so um, I do agree that it, it's hodgepodgey looking, um, better than nothing. And I'll say this about Rob Dayton. I'll, I'll get a little um, commented about Rob. Yeah. He was he he was an amazing person for getting something done in the city where it's really hard to get things done. Um, and um, sorry to see him go, but I I wish he was part of this uh, process and committee because we would be getting it done faster for sure. Um, um, again, it's, it is it, 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 whether or not we keep, I think, th I think we need to make a decision whether or not we're going to keep the parklets. And that should be a, a big piece of the puzzle. Keeping the parklets and the, and the vibrancy and the activity and the outdoor dining is um, an enhancement, but how to do it equitably uh, in a way that's equitable uh, for those people that don't have outdoor dining or don't want to do outdoor dining or a retail place. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you do that in a way that's fair. Yeah. And, you know, the government's been in the business of deciding winners and losers for a long time, despite what uh, they might say, tell you. But um, so, you know, if it is what it is, they're just going to give away public space. Um, that is, that's a choice that the city council can make. But um, in, a, in, a, in a, a typical framework like that, like we have at the Harbor, you know, uh, the, 
public lands down there are leased um, at a pretty high premium. And then there's a cost sharing that goes along with that. So, so if we set up a program for the parklet uh, applicants to actually go through, it's going to cost them a lot if it's fair. And then are we setting people up for failure if they can't actually achieve all of the building health and safety code uh, requirements through a process um, for them to be successful and keep, keep being successful um, after they get their permit. So I don't know, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I just, I feel like objectively, but I mean, this is pretty, I've said this before, it's not Paseo Nuevo all over again. I mean, it doesn't need to take forever. Like the, the, the promenade is a few blocks. I don't know why there's this elaborate planning uh, issue and we're going to lose time. And also stuff's going to change between now and then while you're planning. They're going to have to replan, but we'll see. Maybe Dave's got a master plan there and can figure it all out and it'll I, I, be done I like by 2024. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they, they come up with. So I'm sure it'll be a good plan. What about the State Street underpass and some of those changes? You saw some of that. There's the artwork um, that, um, you know, they're going to try to make that more vibrant and uh, Jeff, Shel yeah, Jeff Shelton and all of that. What do you think of what that's going to look like? Is that goofy or is that going to be good for Santa Barbara? No, I think it'll be great. I think it'll be fantastic. I think uh, taking it down, you know, the road diet, taking it down to one lane and making it lighter and more approachable on a pedestrian scale and a cyclist scale is going to be fantastic so you know bridging the funk zone with downtown is is a good objective yeah hey i want to ask you a couple questions about you jay you and how you got to be a planner i was looking on your linkedin before this and you're to ucsb and you have a land use sort of background degree you're obviously a private land use planner how did you get to are you from here how'd you get to santa barbara what was your route to to this community um mostly um by mistake so um, I got into UCSB on like what they used to call provisional, where they said, basically, if you get, you know, straight A's your senior year, uh, we'll let you in. Um, and then um, I, I floated around UCSB for a couple of years undeclared. And then um, I didn't pay my um, tuition on time at the end of my sophomore year. So they kicked me out of all my classes, uh, paid had to find new classes in the, the class class that worked for my, you know, my my undeclared status was an environmental studies class. Um, and it really, you know, the penny dropped on, on environmental studies and, and primarily urban planning. I took a, a class from a guy named Paul Wack and um, after that it was off to the races. So I worked for the Coastal Commission for a year. Uh, I was still in college, it was an internship, but um, that had it turned me off of public sector um, real interesting um, culture, but it wasn't for me. So I went into the private sector and tried to help people get building permits and land use permits and was immediately turned into a libertarian because <laughs> of the um, bureaucracy that was shocking to me about how to, you know, help people do what we have told them we want them to do with their properties, which is, you know, what the zoning code says. And Maybe what we want them to do from a property tax standpoint or operate a business or build housing, uh, we just make it hard on people. So um, it's a real interesting career choice for me because it's, it's um, exciting and frustrating at the same point. And where'd you grow up? Oakland. Okay. And then we moved to Chico and Santa Cruz, uh, but uh, yeah, primarily a California kid. So you didn't want to, when you were thinking, growing up in Oakland, you weren't like, I want to be a planner one day, an urban planner. You, you kind of weren't sure what you wanted to do. Is that fair? Or you kind of environmental studies or? 100%. Uh -huh. No clue. What do your parents do? Uh, my father was a lawyer and uh, my mom is uh, in sales. She <clears throat> could sell snow to an Eskimo. Is that the right expression? Or ice? I don't know. She's, she's been in real estate and fashion uh, sales for her whole life. In fact, still works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you're, you're like one of these people went to UCSB and you found your calling, you had a great teacher, and then you decided to stay in this community. I mean, did you just fall in love with the, the climate and the geography of everything and decide to work? No, that, was, that was unintentional too. I mean, I got out of college in 91 and there was a recession then and I couldn't find a job. 
-hmm. So um, I, I had all kinds of odd jobs, digging ditches literally and working retail and lifeguard and um, stuff in envelopes. So, uh, but I did finally get a, a, a real job working for um, a developer um, in 1992. And, um, and, but that set me on the road. I travel a lot for work and for work, I, I moved out of Santa Barbara to San Francisco and Hawaii and parts, all parts Southeast uh, part of the country uh, for a long time, but uh, sort of happenstance, got a job back in Santa Barbara and in 97 and then um, I've been here ever since. And you never wanted to sell out and go work for the city, the government, you know, guaranteed <laughs> benefits, all that, no? I think they, they call what I did selling out working <laughs> for the private sector, but no, um, yeah, um, I, 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 there's all kinds of uh, 2020 hindsight on that because a, lo a lot of the colleagues I have that are my age now are in, that went and stayed in public sector retiring yeah. And that sure looks good to me right now, but um, um, I still get excited to go to work every day. It's, it is ultimately, it's, it's fun helping people put puzzles together, try to get them through the process. So I enjoy what I do. Yeah. And I want to, you know, you mentioned libertarian and I want to sort of maybe just give you a little bit of space to talk about this. You know, as a journalist, I cover these issues and so often people want to demonize developers, property owners. Um, they want to say you're rich, you're wealthy, you want to be richer, more wealthy, and you're doing it at the expense of people who are trying to make it work from the working class in the community. You know, you hear that, that's the narrative. And, and it's always like, well, why don't you do less? And uh, why, can't you just make a little bit of less and therefore somebody else can be part of this community, even in the context of the housing, right? Uh, there's people who are saying, we can't have the people who serve the community, the housekeepers, the people who work in the back of house, the service industry employees, we can't have them living outside of Santa Barbara because that's not good for their lives and their families and their time with their kids and their uh, you know, congestion and environment and all these things. So let's figure out a way. And so often it becomes this issue of like good versus bad, right? Like you, if you're a renter, you're good. If you're a property owner, you're an evil property owner. And you have to deal with that. Of course, you're on the planning commission and, you know, you get a taste of public service and all of that stuff and that conversation. Um, can, can you talk about that? I mean, Jay Higgins and other libertarians in property management, they're not the problem. You're not the you're not the evil ones. You're not the bad guys. It's not like you only want this to be a community for the rich. You know, you've heard all those things. Can you talk about just like where you stand on on that fundamental issue and and just sort of clear the air? Because there's a lot of people who are going to watch this and be like, oh, he just he's got his, so he's good. You know, can you talk about that? I might need you to. Uh ask that question again uh because it's a mouthful but um <laughs> I'll, I'll one thought I are have, you a bad guy jay because you're a developer and you uh aren't advocating for tot tax to go fund affordable housing how about that okay um well i certainly hope i mean i guess i can't control what people think of me but um um i i fundamentally am trying to uh navigate people through a process that want to do something to their properties. And that will always bring out um, a neighbor that doesn't want something to change. So th there's an inherent tension there, no matter what you're doing to your property. Um, I have my next door to my residence is, uh, was sold and it's um, being remodeled and there's going to be an ADU on it. The guy that bought it is a developer and he'll end up flipping it. Nice guy. I, I happen to enjoy um, talking to him and, and he's very afraid of, of the risk associated with the process. And we, we quite talked quite a bit about how long it took him to get his permit. That was, um, that was challenging for him. Something very simple, something that we're supposed to help facilitate, which is an, AD, an ADU in the backyard, which I, I don't mind it necessarily. Um, I, I don't have a problem with that. And it, and it still took him a year to get that permit. So, and, and along the way, there's all kinds of 
crazy things being asked of him by the city that aren't part of the legislation. Um, and they, you know, he had to talk to eight different uh, fiefdom heads, planning, building, flood, creeks, you know, everybody's got their, their kind of their knives out on applicants when they come in. And, and that's, that's not appropriate. So if somebody wants to demonize me for saying um, that it's too hard to get a permit, I don't know what to say. So it's, it's difficult. So, and it's easy to, to, I guess, target people that are applicants or my clients as, as uh, being motivated by profit. Um, I guess what else is new? <laughs> yeah. yeah one, thing that... I, one thing I want to say though, which is ironic. So the, the big part of AUD that I would change mm -hmm. is that it needs to be for condos as well. Mm -hmm. There's no difference in what the building looks like, whether it's an apartment or a condo. And when you're talking about um, developers, developers will continue to get rich and wealthy if they own the real estate. If it's condos, then the equity that is realized over time in those units goes to the, the buyer. Yeah. And so we ought to be helping people get up, get into those units for rent or for sale and have a balance of those that are for sale. So those, those people that are in our workforce can have equity in that unit and they can do a lot of things with that equity, one of which is retire someday. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, just back, back to basics on land use and encouraging home ownership. Home ownership is what, uh, improves neighborhoods. I'll just, I'm sorry, somebody's going to hate me for saying that, but it's true. Uh, factually, statistically, you're more invested in your neighborhood if you have money tied up in the property and you're more actively involved in its maintenance and care. So uh, we've lost sight of that. And it's ironic that this city council uh, doesn't want to incentivize uh, ways to bring to to take the equity that a developer creates and distribute it right yeah yeah i know you don't hear much conversation about about that much in terms of um, condo or home ownership or helping first-time homeowners um, be able to get the financing to you know secure the gap between what they have and you know the down payment needed kind of thing you don't you don't really see that we, we used to do that. And I think we'll probably, I think that'll become part of an AUD amendment at some point that it, that it would apply to uh, condos, but um, I don't know why we haven't done it yet. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, quickly two minutes. And I did, I didn't give you a heads up that I was going to ask you this because I just thought about it. So if you want to plead the fifth, I understand, but the Picasso thing uh, has gotten a lot of attention. These, this company that has bought homes and then they're selling fractional ownership and you can own up to an eighth. And I wrote some stories on it, massive web hits. People have all kinds of opinion on this. And uh, there's some, uh, you know, at least one homeowner nearby who's started this no Picasso thing. And yeah, I talked to the person who actually owns an eighth of it. And they're like, our kids go to UCSB and what do you want us to do? Uh, <laughs> buy a, buy a home and, and leave it vacant for the whole year. At least we're sharing it with other people who are using it. But do you have any thoughts on that whole fractional ownership in the neighborhoods? Uh, um, and is this just part of the problem? Good free market. They can do it. They can do it. What do you think? Yeah, I guess I, um, when, the, when we started to regulate uh, the vacation rental market, um, it seemed to me to be um Ultimately, it was a good uh, use of our time to regulate uh, vacation rentals out of single-family neighborhoods, because I do think you know a lot of people would take advantage of that. Um, and we have to we have to figure out what we want. If we want hotels for TOT revenue, and we want tourists, then we ought to be facilitating more hotel uh, construction. And it's okay at the same time to limit the ability for people to do VRBOs. I think the Picasso thing, um, I don't quite know enough about it, but I, I think it's an interesting argument. Look, and there are a lot of vacant homes in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. We could have a residential vacancy tax too. Don't quote <laughs> me on that. All right. Uh, Jay Higgins is calling for it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, and I, and I get that argument, but ultimately I don't, I don't think I, I buy it. 
I think that, um, you know, single family homes are for families and not for vacations. So uh, I, I fall on the side of um, if we need to create a urgency ordinance to limit people's ability to do that, that's probably, probably a good thing, but let's make it a, a fairly quick moratorium. And, and then if it needs to be extended, extend it, but we need to be realizing and putting into practice something that is an incentive that meets the disincentive. Yeah. Okay. Carrot and stick. So. Yeah. Well said, Jay. I, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you and all your work on the planning commission. And as a reporter who's covering these meetings, I really like how you are precise and on point and you don't ramble for two hours just so you well, can that, hear That's the talking. first time I, I should introduce you to my wife. <laughs> I well, I know we're always... Everybody, anybody's ever said I don't ramble, but I appreciate well, that. I relatively like, speaking, you don't ramble to some of the people who've been on the planning commission over the years. So I appreciate your precise uh, points that you make on, on these issues. It helps me as a journalist understand these because, you know, you guys are the smart ones. I'm trying to understand it quickly and explain it. And, uh, uh, you know, all your involvement uh, with uh, your architectural walks and things that you've organized and your, your planning and your land use events and all the stuff you do in the community that you know, not everyone knows about, but, but uh, people are aware that you do care and you are involved and um, appreciate, appreciate your time. Appreciate oh, thank your you. time. Well, I look forward to doing more of those um, community engagement, sort of educational uh, um, classes um, next year, because this is my last year on the commission. Um, I'm not going to uh, seek a, a reappointment. I think um, it's healthy for the commission to have uh, maximum term limits like we do at the, on the council. So um, looking forward to somebody else taking over and me getting back to my day job. So you're not going to try to seek 12, 16 years? No, no way. It's a, It's been very, very educational and mostly I think significant majority of the time, really fun. A couple of ups and downs, but that's, that's what happens when you get a, a group of people together on a nonprofit board of the directors effectively. So yeah, yeah it, it's, it's generally been really, really great. And I'm grateful for the experience. So good. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll see you doing a whole bunch of hundred million things down the road too. So yeah. but thanks a lot, Jay. Have a okay. great day. Take care. Mm -hmm.